Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. We have Guillaume Colm here, a classmate of mine at Tufts University studying political science. He's involved in the campus's voter registration organization, Jumbo Vote, uh, the Tufts chapter of climate activist group, the Sunrise Movement, and, and disability justice work. Um, he's passionate about issues related to voter suppression, authoritarianism, and disability rights. Guillaume, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to talk to you. So I think the introduction gives us a good idea of where you're at politically. So let's just get right into it. We're past the one year anniversary of January 6th. We're less than 11 months from the midterms. Um, Biden's speech in Atlanta and uh, Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's speech on the Senate floor have indicated a full steam ahead approach on filibuster reform to pass two election reform bills, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill. So let's first go after the filibuster. What do you expect Schumer to do, and what would you want him to do? And is filibuster reform, getting rid of or reforming the supermajority requirement of 60 votes, get a bill past debate stage, getting rid of that, a good idea at all? I mean, will the consequences of, of that move outweigh potential benefits? Yeah, that's a great question to start. I'm just going to quickly just go over the filibuster because I think that's probably the most important issue when it comes to voting rights today. It's just really important in terms of the historical context of the filibuster that the filibuster has been used various times throughout the past generations, but particularly during the 1950s and the 60s to block voting rights legislation from getting passed. So a great example of this was in between 1910 to 1925, and there was a slew of anti-lynching legislation used at the time or at least was getting proposed by some Democratic and Republican legislators. And essentially what happened was, is that Southern Democratic legislators who were not particularly fond of anti-lynching legislation used the filibuster to actually block such reformation completely. So when we're talking about the filibuster, we're talking about a very long history of it being weaponized by ideologically conservative legislatures, whether that be in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party now today, to be used to block really important voting rights legislation. So when it comes to reform, it's really important to note that, one, the filibuster was never really in a constitution to begin with. Actually, many of the founding fathers, but particularly with James Madison, didn't like the idea of a filibuster. Particularly with the Articles of Confederation, there was a 9 out of 13 state requirement to get amendments passed. And that was basically serving as a filibuster before it even was considered a filibuster. So the filibuster wasn't really liked for a long time amongst many people. So when we're talking about the reform here, we're talking about many different parts or facets that could be used. There's one particularly important facet of reformation that could be used, which is called an exemption in the Senate. So what's important to note about the exemption is that exemptions to skirt the filibuster, to just go off of a simple majority vote, have actually been used for non-reconciliation matters, for matters other than spending bills. So one good example of this was in December when Republican and Democratic congressmen actually agreed to have an exemption to the filibuster to raise the, the debt deficit. So there's been precedent, historically speaking, to have a good reformation like this intact. 
And in terms of what Schumer talked about in his speech and what Joe Biden talked about in Atlanta, I'm just personally glad from my own perspective that they just talked about this right now because it's 2022 and the midterms are coming up in November. So they, from my perspective at least, I think what they need to do is just act on this quickly and get more into the persuasion of mansion and cinema going forward. So you're in favor of filibuster reform or uh, early exemption, and you don't and you don't see that that the potential knock-on effects on Senate procedure, you know, Republicans getting rid of it to pass, other their types of legislation will be uh, outweigh this yeah. benefit of voting rights. You see that's a yeah. net good. Yeah, it's a good argument that you bring up because I hear a lot from many political commentators today specifically arguing that if the filibuster is somehow reformed, when Republicans inevitably get the Senate in 2022, or at least are favored to get into the future, they may potentially pass bills that may not be advantageous towards everybody in the United States, which I think is totally true. But if you're arguing against this filibuster reformation, it's essentially kind of an argumentation against change in general. I mean, when the American population votes, or at least votes for congressmen, what they really want is real results and real change at the end of the day. So if you're arguing that like change in general, whether you like it or not, is not something that should be up for debate, or at least shouldn't be admirable to some respect, isn't a great argumentation for progress going forward. So of course, there are going to be risks to filibuster reform, but for the greater good, especially for voting rights in this country, it's especially more important than ever to get that passed. But let's say that the Congressional Voting Rights Bill fails and that Senate uh, Democrats are unable to pass any substantial voting reg- legislation. Do you believe President Biden could use executive power and or executive authority to further advance voting rights? I think to a particular extent, I think he could, potentially with the issue of federal preclearance. So this is kind of like an issue that I researched a little bit back in December for a project for American politics for my class. But Federal preclearance essentially was kind of a procedure by the attorney general in the Department of Justice to require certain jurisdictions that had a racially discriminatory history of voting practices to basically get their changes or proposed changes pre-cleared from the DOJ. That's basically where the term federal preclearance was. So the DOJ could clear voting changes before they could be implemented in jurisdictions that had a history of racial discrimination in voting. What I think Biden could potentially do is lay the foundation for reformation within federal preclearance and the DOJ. I don't think it's going to be completely sure in terms of the intellectual framework of federal preclearance, just because of the Supreme Court is much more ideologically conservative than it was back in 2013 with the Shelby County decision when they basically ruled down that federal preclearance could be even enforced in the first place. So I think he'll have difficulty on matters such as federal preclearance, but I think what he could do is just lay the foundation for more work into the future. Do you believe that executive action, like you mentioned by the president of the Department of Justice, I mean, would there be a carried risk of it being very short term? I mean, if a Republican takes the White House in 2024, does that carry the risk of completely undoing what the Biden administration would have done for voting rights? Yes, definitely. But I think what's really important to recognize in the voting rights environment that we're living in, or at least the push for voting rights more into the future, is that if we don't really try at all, we're never going to really know the results in the first place. So just getting an attempt to just even experiment with implementation of voting rights reformation, such as federal peak clearance, could be really important in the future. And although it could be altered by a Republican administration in the future, whether that is Trump or not, 
trying in the first place is more important than trying not at all. So that's what I believe. So why do you think Republican state legislatures have had such a keen interest in these voter suppression bills? If nothing happens at the federal level by Democrats, as we previously discussed, what is the expected outcome for these Republican-backed bills or really any inactivity over voter rights whatsoever? Well, to tackle your first question as to why Republicans are really doing this, many studies have promoted that by 2040, like 2045, the nation would become a majority-minority community or a nation that will eventually be a nation primarily constituted by minority communities or communities of color. And that's really important to note because as the political trends nowadays convey, many communities of color across the country vote heavily for Democratic candidates. So when Republican legislatures or political leaders, for example, see these national political and demographic trends towards political advantageous results for the Democrats in the near future, a lot of them are going to be a little bit scared about the potential to lose political power. And in the context of the voting rights debate, there's always been this clash in America between our aspirations for a better future and reality. And the reality is this, is that many Republican legislatures see the writing on a wall in terms of the demographics or the demography of this country in the future. They know that many of them are going to be sympathetic, or at least many voters of color in the future are going to be sympathetic towards Democratic policies and therefore Democratic candidates, and they want to prevent that as soon as possible. And for your second question as to the impact of these voter suppression laws, there was a great example back in 2013. So this was with Texas, and there was a voter identification law on the books in 2012. When I was researching the impacts of federal preclearance, or at least the impacts of not having federal preclearance, the Texas state legislature was reported to implement this voter identification law that was reported to basically disproportionately impact minority voters, but particularly with Hispanic Americans in certain jurisdictions that voted for Democratic candidates the majority of the time. So when you're talking about the impacts of these voter suppression laws, many of them disproportionately impact communities of color that now traditionally tend to vote for Democratic candidates. It kind of offends this idea of free and fair elections we have in this country. So that's why it's such an important issue to talk about. So this is a counter argument to trying to go against a lot of these voter suppression bills. It's, it's not some of the more right-leaning talking points. It's the it's simple fact that turnout just naturally undo a lot of these bills, a lot of the effects of the bills, including um, stringent voter ID laws and draw boxes and all the rest. The fact is that more Americans voted in 2020 than any previous election. Doesn't that mean that by 2045, if turn if we have major minority majority you know voting population, and assuming that we just still a good chunk of them, a good majority of them still vote more left, and the right still has these laws in the books, wouldn't that and they and there's turnout and there's massive turnout the wells will be seen in 2020, wouldn't that again wouldn't that naturally balance out a lot of the gerrymandering and um, the rest of these bills? It kind of depends on the circumstance that you're talking about. There are still many academic studies that kind of contend with that, but we aren't exactly or particularly certain as to whether or not it would have balanced out in the first place. What we do know in terms of the results of these voter identification laws is that rather than actually balancing out many of the political or environmental causes that we see today in terms of turnout, it actually imbalances turnout quite a bit with minority communities being disproportionately impacted. So to answer your question, I'm not quite sure 
as to whether or not it will provide more balance by lessening up on these voter suppression laws in the first place. But what I do know for now is that many of these voter identification laws or other voter suppression laws, such as voter purges, for example, it's very evident with this political environment that we're living in that these voter suppression laws pretty much disproportionately impact communities of color. I'm not quite sure about the future for imbalancing, but I do know now that it's very much the exact opposite. You're part of JumboVote. You're part of this, um, you know, voter registration effort, nonpartisan, you know, just get, get just to get college students who don't mm-hmm. usually usually vote to get out to vote. We've seen massive protests by college students for Black Lives Matter, for more left wing causes, but even you know, even for right wing causes, and you know, even on the Trumpist end of the spectrum, in small part for something like TPUSA, and you know, we have a sizable piece of you know, the population, youth population, it doesn't really feel like they make it, they tune out because they can't make, they feel like, oh, we can't make a difference. The electoral mm-hmm. college, I'm in a blue state, I'm Republican or I'm red state, I'm a Democrat. What can they do? What is your advice to them on how they can actually make a difference? Well, first of all, to kind of tackle that apathy with voters, but particularly with voters of the younger demographics these days, the first thing I would definitely tell them is to look at Georgia in the 2020 presidential election cycle, because I found that there are many commentators, or at least many election administrators at the time, that predicted Georgia to essentially go for Trump or Donald Trump at the time, just simply because Georgia was a predominantly Republican state that had very heavy levels of voter registration amongst Republican voters, or at least conventional conservative ideologues. So, but what happened was in particularly urban environments with a higher percentage of younger demographics voting in places such as Atlanta and around Fulton County in Georgia, younger people made a humongous difference just by turning out to vote. So it basically flipped many of the predictions that many people, not just commentators and not just the elite amongst the political establishment in America, but just many Americans were shocked as the result in Georgia. And it was primarily because of younger people that turned out. So the first thing I would definitely tell young people today is to look at history. There are just many examples outside of Georgia that proves that when younger people turn out, there is an electoral and political shift in terms of the state's politics. So it actually does make a difference turning out young people. And in terms of tactics as to for younger people to go forward as to how to register more people, spreading information in terms of social media can actually be a really big difference. And I know that there is a great conversation being had as to whether or not social media can be a big difference in terms of whether or not it could signal the right political causes. But in terms of selecting younger demographics to vote, it could actually make a really big difference if you reach out on social media and just promote very simple messages about voting. Just reminding them can actually mean the difference between voting and not voting at all. Yeah, just as a follow-up, um, I know that you've discussed getting higher turnout, like in elections in Georgia, where there were, you know, a series of consequential elections, including the two Senate races that gave the Democrats a majority in 2020 in the Senate. But with midterms, turnout can be especially difficult. So do you have any sort of advice or recommendations to engage younger voters to vote in midterms when they think the stakes are far lower? That is a really good question. I definitely would say that I think in terms of the level of importance in comparison to the presidential election cycle, for example, definitely emphasizing just the basic and fundamental facts that many of the midterm elections pretty much result in legislatures getting the laws passed in the first place so the president can sign it. It's just a really important message to get across. So it's not just 
the presidential election cycle that's important to elect the president. The president has to get the loss from somewhere, right? So just emphasizing that midterms are supposed to kind of constitute how the Congress even works in the first place can go a long way just as a simple messaging tactic. The voter registration efforts in general, I would say that, again, promoting on social media can be really important, but I think what's more important is getting information available through newsletters or just bulletin boards in general, or at least any other environment on campus where there are many people created in one space just to let them know how to register to vote in the first place. For example, on in Tufts University, for example, there are many students coming across from state lines that may be encouraged to want to vote in the Massachusetts midterms, but that don't know exactly how to. So just getting out the information through bulletin boards, or at least through other resource informational websites can be really important. So that's all the questions we have. Uh, Gam, thank you for coming on. Do you have any other final thoughts before we wrap up here? I've been thinking a lot since the anniversary of January 6th. That's, that happened, of course, last year. And when it comes to voting rights, I'm excited, but also a little bit disillusioned at the same time. I'm excited that Joe Biden and many of the Democratic congressmen are at least now getting around the idea of filibuster if I'm going to get it passed. But I'm also a little bit disillusioned that it took them approximately over a year since January 6th have particularly emphasis on reforming such Senate institutions in the because not just coming from the angle of the 2022 midterms, but even in future elections, but really in particular with the 2024 presidential election, voting rights are going to be even more important now than ever. Like there was a story that I remembered from the 2020 presidential election cycle, and it was the certification of the state electors from Michigan. And there was this very inflammatory environment in which Michigan state of electors, or at least the election administration of Michigan, how they contended with the fact that half of their members, or at least near to half of their members, were sympathetic to the Trumpian cause at the time to stop the certification of Biden's election. And there was one Republican, or at least one Republican representative that pretty much stood in the way of such efforts to stop the certification. And what happened to him was that he was eventually replaced by somebody who was essentially a Trump sycophant, or at least somebody who would be more accommodating towards demands to reverse future election results if Democrats, say, win such state elections. And I only say this for just one purpose. If we don't pass voting rights legislation now, not just after the 2022 midterms, but now, there could be the potential consequence of a real constitutional crisis coming, not maybe just in 2024, but in future elections where Republicans, and I say this Republicans only because Republicans are the only real political actors that are acting out in terms of this voter suppression movement. There could be a real possibility that come 2024, if the Democrats win a presidential election, Republicans without a real meaningful resistance effort to reform voting rights across the country, could essentially execute what they didn't do legally on January 6th, which was to stop the certification of a democratic victory. And that could pose a lot of problems for this country. So going forward, I know that was a very long discussion, of course, but like going forward, the future context of this voting rights debate 
is really important. If we don't act now, there may be a potential crisis coming in just a few years. And I know that sounds alarmist, but considering the fact that January 6th happened a year ago, it could very well happen again on a different level. So having that in mind is much more important now than ever. Oh, well said. Guillaume, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a pleasure. We hope to see you again. Of course, thank you. that concludes this episode of Gen Zero's Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero's Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero's Talk Poly, with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>